Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV series behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling, as always, is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hey, Patch. How's it going? It's good, man. I'm getting over a cold, so if I sound a little bit like the Godfather or a little nasally, I pre-apologize if you're used to my (laughs) regular face for radio. This is my temporary, I've got a stuffy nose face for radio. Yeah, you sound good to me. So well, good, good. I hope the listeners agree with you. Uh, but if not, then they can always turn this off and go to something else. Hopefully, you won't though, no. as we are continuing our journey down the first season of Ted Lasso. We are halfway through the first season, which is interesting because normally in a regular TV series we'd just be five episodes in. But part of the reason we love these kinds of TV shows is their length. And you can hear more about that in depth in our episode zero, where we break down kind of why we're doing this. But that was definitely a reason why we chose these types of series is that they're short, they're sweet. Yeah, not a lot of filler. Not a lot of filler. We don't need filler. No, I have filler right here on my belly. I don't need any more filler (laughs) in my life. Well, with that being said, we'll go ahead and get right into it. We'll get started outside the clubhouse as the episode opens. Ted's going in to the clubhouse, but not before this great moment with Higgins. One of the things I love about this, Adam, is that we get to see a little bit more of Higgins' family. He's in this like small car, yeah. and his wife is sitting there you know, telling him goodbye in that kind of traditional sitcomish way, like, have a great day at work, honey. And, <laughs> uh, and then she makes some dig at Rebecca or something like that. Oh, and, and tell your boss, I hope she gets heart disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we get to see like all five of his kids in the back seat, which I think is just hysterical. Yeah, one's sitting on the lap of another in like this yes. cramped car. Yes, I can't imagine having that kind of uh, situation where there's the one car and all the children in the back. It's It's just, it's a fun visual, but it also gives us that moment with Higgins and just the gentle love that he has for his family. I think this is the first time that we actually get to meet his wife. I think so. She was off camera perhaps in the the previous episode where we get to meet him, his kids sitting around the breakfast table together. Yeah. She wasn't in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we move inside Rebecca's office and Ted's sitting down with her and they're sort of rehashing the the scene from the last episode that that I fell in love with where she's just completely vulnerable with him. And this was something really surprising they don't really make light of that situation, but they sort of get a little meta with it where they're like, oh, what was supposed to be kind of the moment where they bonded, they both kind of realized, mm, maybe not so much. He brings up his relationship with his wife, kind of making a little bit light of those issues, the way he discusses it and kind of the Ted Lasso way. But then he brings up Oklahoma as their sort of, is it safe word? Co- he calls it a code word. A code that they, word. That they both were given by their therapist as a way to trigger the other person to, as he puts it, say the God's honest truth about what you're thinking or feeling at that moment in time. And Rebecca, she doesn't seem too interested in any of this. She's, she's like, are you, are you opening up to me right now? Because I opened up to you at the gala, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then he said, you feel that same way too, right? And she goes, I do. And he goes, Oklahoma? She goes, I do not. (laughs) That's right, yeah. And the reason Ted's even in her office is because he bangs his head in the opening shot, opening scene against like, it's like a gate, like a security gate that would come down over the, uh, the entrance to the clubhouse. And he just like walks right into it while he was looking down at his phone. It's a funny moment, but also like painful. So he's like in her office with an ice pack on his head. And yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, was an, it was an interesting way to kind of start off the episode. But as I watched it again this time, I was realizing why was the gate only like a third of the way? You know, it could have gone all the way up, but it wasn't. It was low enough that someone would have to duck to go under it. And it's sort of obviously it was done for comedic effect, but it doesn't make much logical sense as to why the gate was was not brought all the way up in the morning so it was yeah. interesting several theories i think maybe the kit man probably had something to do with that maybe he didn't quite open it 
It's always Nate's fault. It's always Nate's fault. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Beard is playing a little joke on him, knowing his routine or something like that. But yeah. I think what's what's fun about that is that you're right. It brings us into the office, but it doesn't deter Ted from having bif- biscuits with the boss. No. no so no. even with an ice pack on his forehead, he's got the biscuits. They're having a bonding moment, or at least trying to have a bonding moment for for his sake. It's It's just kind of this repetitive theme that we're getting where he is continuously interjecting himself, trying to make uh, make a connection with her. And, and right. she's just sort of giving him that mental uh, Heisman, if you will, <laughs> of like, uh, you know, this is not working. And, and I love that they're kind of blunt about it, where he's like, oh, you know, you you're the you know, we, we bonded. And she's basically like, no, no, we didn't. <laughs> Yeah. Which was kind of disappointing because I'm like, I think you did. I think you did. She's definitely fighting the fact that they did, in fact, bond and she did, in fact, open up to him. But she's trying so hard not to get attached, right? Because she still has this plan of hers that she's trying to bring down the team to get back at her ex-husband. So she doesn't want to let that deter her from staying the course (laughs) in her evil plan. Right, right. That gets less evil by the episode, I think, because yeah. <laughs> we are falling in love with her a little bit more each right. uh, each episode. And I think this is the first time that we get Ted sort of sharing a little bit about why he and his wife are having issues. He says that his constant optimism was too yeah. much for her. That's right. And, and, and I say that he makes light of it. He doesn't make light of it, but the way that Sudeikis delivers that line is sort of matter of fact, like he, he's not making light of it. He's not like, whatever, but he's also not necessarily like grieving over it in that moment. He's just kind of like, yeah, this is what we talked about. She says, my constant optimism is too much. And um, I thought that was really interesting. And looking back over the last few episodes, he still got that kind of filling in the, the gaps of speech, like, you know, filling in the, the talk, but he is, kind of giving her a little bit of vulnerability of like, you didn't ask for this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And of course she doesn't want to receive it, but that is great agency for us because as an audience, we're getting to know a little bit more about the things going on with him and her. And of course we'll get to meet them later. So that's kind of a good primer for, okay, now we know a little bit more about this. And so we can kind of prepare for what might be coming later in the, later in the episode. Yeah, and in a way, it kind of makes sense that he's distracted looking down at his phone as he's entering the clubhouse and hits his head because he's probably texting with his with his wife or something. He's he knows they're coming, right? He knows they're on, you know, en route to to England to visit him, and that's probably, you know, it's heavy on his mind, and maybe he's not as aware of his surroundings and what's happening as a result because he's a little anxious, he's a little and excited. And, and as, as you said, we learn uh, later in the episode more about the dynamic of, of what's going on uh, with that relationship. Well, the episode moves forward uh, to Jamie's house where we get the fallout from the breakup. Yeah. <laughs> Keely walks in and apparently it's only been 24 hours since they broke up. So we're not too far removed from the gala event that we were invited to the episode before. She sees yeah. the other woman. Jamie comes out. I think he's wearing her underwear. I was going to ask you, they looked way too small to be regular male briefs. Yeah. So (laughs) I was going to ask you if you thought the same thing. I did not notice this the first time, but they looked (laughs) from, especially from the side angle. I was like, those do not look correct for his size. They're a little too form fitting Adam. I think. (laughs) Yes. So he comes out with just those on and I don't know. If um, he had just gotten out of the shower or or what, but up to this point, I think Jamie's hair has always been perfect. You know, I think he, it's perfectly styled in almost every scene. So I, I'm assuming that he groomed himself before coming out, but why would you just come out in your lady, lady person's underpants? So if he wakes <laughs> yeah. up that way, I mean, this is, I guess, purely what happens in the world of TV where you can wake up looking amazing. I wish I could wake up just looking amazing like that. Not in ladies underwear, but you know, no, hair no. And stuff. So. He may just have so much product in his hair that it just can't move. <laughs> it just stays. It yeah. just like, yeah, he could move around all night and nothing <laughs> right. happens. Well, he is so clueless in this episode. Achilles so is being completely honest with him and, and not seeing the sarcasm. And he's like, well, I'm glad I made you feel that way. Great. You know? Yeah there's this really quick expression that she makes like, you know what? You're right. 
I don't need to be jealous. And so she finishes it off and she reminds him that there's a, like a photo shoot. Yeah. Like a yeah promo shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Promo. So we get back on the pitch. We've got coach and beard and Nate doing their thing. He's getting frustrated because I believe this is, yeah, this is where the extra pass conversation starts. Yeah. Jamie's unwilling to, to pass, to pass to Sam and, and just won't offer any extra passes because yeah. he, you know, he thinks he's the star of the team. And, and then it cuts to him seeing his wife and son and he just, yeah. And he, well, I'm sorry. It's prefaced by him saying, we're going to stay out here at practice until we get it right. Right. And, and then two seconds later, he sees his family and he's like, practice is canceled. And, and he, he runs across the pitch. I forget who says it. Someone's like, that is a lot longer run than he thinks that. Metaphor. Because he's on oh, the, the absolute opposite end of the pitch and he's yeah. just sprinting <laughs> across, yeah. across the grass. I, I think this is one of my favorite moments where you know, you, you know, he's already excited about seeing his family. Yeah. So running to them, picking up his kid and doing the helicopter and then attempting to, or sort of doing it with his wife. It's, this is, this is how I would be if I were in England and my family came to visit me. Like I would do that stuff. I would, I would tell my son, Hey, big guy, look how tall you got. What the heck? Look at this. I mean, you what you got teeth now and you can talk i mean yeah it's just so precious yeah and it's yet another side of ted that we get to see this this is such a tender moment because this is his vulnerability adam this is the thing that if anybody's going to get into his heart or knows exactly where to hit him in the fields it's going to be his family and as much as we've learned so far this moment i think solidified how much he cares for them and how much he's missed them because he's, I mean, he's been away for at least a month. I think we established that uh, in our last episode that they've been in England for, for about a month. And so getting to see them for the first time and, and interacting with him that way, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. It's a, it's a great moment. And again, it's the first time outside of a phone call, they've had some communication, but yeah, now we get to see him, as a dad in action with his son. And it's really great to see because I think you would agree. Ted Lasso would make a great dad. He's just that kind of of positive guy that would be very encouraging. He would never yell at you. He would just, he would always be there to support you and help you be the best version of you that you could be. And that's kind of what he's doing for everybody around him. Right. He's, he's, He's just helping everyone around him become better versions of who they are. Yeah. And I like seeing priority with him. Mm -hmm. So he cancels training. I mean, he is in the moment as a coach and then he sees his family and he cancels practice. You could not argue the justification for that. So to me, it's one thing to be optimistic and want to pour into people in general. It's another thing to have priority. And I think that that's what we see here is that not that the team's not important, but that his family comes first. In some ways, we could probably infer that his family is what drives him. You know, yeah. The love that he has for his wife and his son really drive who he is. And as we'll find out later, sometimes that can, that can be somewhat faulty with him in his relationship with them. So then we move to Jamie's promo shoot, which is probably one of the funnier, subtle, subtle funny. I don't know. It's kind of like sunny. No, I don't know what the <laughs> mashup board would be. But it's probably one of the more subtle, funny scenes. It's where we get to see Jamie just being completely Jamie. Yeah. He, he is really hysterical in this where he he gets, it's almost like he's getting bored with the photo shoot. And he says, have you seen a unicorn? You ever seen a brunicorn? <laughs> I don't think any other character could pull that off. I mean, it's just completely him. Or when he holds, he's holding the beer and he's like, make sure you get my tats. And he's yeah. showing his, uh, his tattoos on his arm. And he's like, got that one. It's very important to me. Chinese farm. <laughs> and it's on his arm. So <laughs> only he would have a Chinese you know, character for arm for the, on his for arm. For the word arm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not obvious at all, is it, no. Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> but he's so proud of it. He's like, that's his personality. He's so proud of his tattoos, of his humor, of his jokes. He thinks he's the funniest guy in the world. And this is just, you know, he's 24 and he's got the world in the palm of his hand. He's 
he's loving it. You know, he's eating it up. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, I mean, you, you can't, um, argue, yeah. you know, his, his attitude in this, this is just really great being that self-aware, I think really enhances that scene. Yeah. But in the back, we see, we see Keely and Rebecca interacting and they're sort of decompressing from their moment as well, which is kind of different from mm -hmm. Rebecca and Ted. And obviously the personalities are different, but I don't remember what the line was that preceded it. But Keely says to Rebecca, I'd kiss you on the mouth if I could reach those lips. What a great comment about how tall <laughs> Rebecca yeah. is. And then you see Rebecca giving Keely an opportunity to get more, more branding yeah. opportunities, branding job. I think that's really fantastic. It's just that kind of olive branch that she says, look, I mean, men do this all the time. It's, it's business. And, but I think it also speaks to the fact that Keely's good at what she does. Yeah. And so I think that is again, a little bit of a move forward in their relationship, that sisterhood that we're, we're starting to experience. And so it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And there's a really interesting moment where <laughs> Rebecca kind of says, what is it that you do again? Exactly. And yeah. she says, well, <laughs> I'm sort of famous for being almost famous. And I thought that was really interesting because that's, that's a, that is a thing. Like in our world today, there's a lot of people. You're kind of like, why do I care about these people? And why are they on the cover of magazines and everywhere yeah. on social media? And why does, why do so many people follow them? Well, they're famous for being famous or in her case, being almost famous. And I just think right. that's fascinating, but it's also, a, it also says something about Rebecca because she's sort of, I think pushing Keely to be more than that, right? Pushing her saying that you can be more than just being almost famous. You can actually be even better at what you do and perhaps have success based on your skills and your and your your brain and maybe Rebecca can be the one to kind of get her up to the next step in her career. Well, and I think that it speaks to Keely's respect for Rebecca's position. Mm -hmm. And this is something we haven't talked about, which I think is, is really cool seeing a woman in such a high position of authority, you mm -hmm. know, the owner of a, of a soccer club, despite how she got there. The fact is Rebecca clearly knows how to run a soccer club. Yeah. Even though she kind of inherited the club, I guess you would say she's clearly a savvy businesswoman and knows what she's doing. She understands every aspect of what needs to be done. She's not clueless at all. So it's, it kind of makes you wonder what did she do before this? You know, did she have a background in business because she's, she's a smart person and she knows what she's doing. And some of the hints of that are even in the very first episode when Ted goes into the press conference, she knows how to handle the room. Right. That's really important to be able to have that kind of presence in a room full of people that can basically tear you down and have the power to tear you down. Keely sees that. And when she, when Rebecca gives Keely that opportunity, I think Keely recognizes that, you know, coming from Rebecca, it's going to be a good career move, but it's also an endorsement. It's not just a handout. I think you're yeah. right. She sees what Keely has the potential to be because she says, she says, don't tell me you're still with that twat at the beginning yeah. of that conversation. And she goes, no, this is just all business. And I think that kind of allows Rebecca to see, okay, you can separate business from pleasure. So yeah, it's really, it's really, really cool. The, uh, the episode moves on to the pub with the family. Ted's explaining what chips are and right. they go in and then Baz, one of the triplets, I guess you could say the triplet fans yeah. just goes on this short little swearing tirade to Ted when he walks in and then Ted just without skipping a beat casually says, this is my wife and my son. And he switches, <laughs> goes absolute pleasure to meet you, Mrs. Lasso. <laughs> yeah. So good, man. So his son goes to play darts What's really great about this moment is that the pub owner comes in and actually gives him darts and says, okay, don't hit anybody. Right. I love the way that she is very inviting. You know, it's, Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked before about how she's such an advocate for him 
in the from the very beginning yeah from the very beginning like give him a chance you know she's always been sort of for, for whatever the reason as you just said she seems to see something in him and obviously he lives like i think right down the street from this pub right he's his flat is right around the corner so and she is aware of this so she knows he's going to be coming in quite often so it makes sense to be friendly and cordial to your frequent customers but she definitely has taken a liking to him and she's constantly berating the super fans for their behavior which is always nice but yeah you're right she gives this i mean how old is he is he seven i think he's i think he's seven or eight yeah she gives him some darts and of course a few minutes later after ted and michelle have a conversation you see his son come back and the bigger guy has a like a dart in his shoulder <laughs> so he clearly missed the dartboard and and hit one of those fans but i i don't know if you noticed this but apparently it's happened before because oh <laughs> yeah, yeah ted apologizes for his son and goes "Ooh, well i'm sorry about that how much of the time and then his buddy tries to pull out I'm just curious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I guess I, it makes sense. You're throwing sharp objects at a small round board in a cramped pub when people are drinking. Yeah, it makes sense that people are going to get hit by darts from time to time. Things are going to happen. Things yeah. are going to happen like that, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> but handing like a seven-year-old boy a handful of darts probably That's wouldn't happen idea. in the U.S. It might be something a little more maybe a little more laid back that's not a good idea they, no. yeah, give me give me rubber ends for my son i'm not <laughs> exactly. going to give you like pointed things that could put an eye out we actually have the... like a magnetic dartboard where they have oh, okay. little magnetic tips that they're like flat and they just hit the board and yeah Ooh. it's kind of fun that's a good that's a good starter game before you get into the actual for my daughter. objects there yeah <laughs> exactly there's a there's this great moment um before the scene ends where ted and his wife are sitting down and they're talking in I won't call it anecdotal language, but they're talking about food and how it could give you knowledge. Do they um, wrap the fish and chips in newspaper? I, I read they do that here. No, no, I wish. Boy, I'd love that. Have my food teach me stuff. Yeah, that's your dream scenario, right? A, a donut that knows about Rosa Parks or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But what makes that moment so interesting is that there's this really interesting, awkward silence. You know, they're both really yeah. trying to figure out how do we talk to each other? again, pushing us into that relationship a little bit more where we realize, do we really have a lot to talk about apart from our son or apart from my job or apart from how you are that, you know, relationships, when you run out of things to say, yeah, that's when things sort of get a little, I don't know, dangerous maybe, or at least to a point where you're like, wow, do we really only have a limited amount of things that we can talk about? And they're clearly, they haven't yet, at least that we've seen, talked about any of their quote-unquote issues they're just sort of trying to ignore it or push it back the inevitable conversation that has to take place they're just trying to pretend like everything's happy and it kind of makes sense they have a boy together and they probably don't want to be hashing out their marital issues in front of him right they want to give him some semblance of a happy family but yeah it's brewing right you can sense that the talk is going to be happening soon yeah and then we get a, a really interesting scene we cut back to the locker room or the hallway to between Keely and Roy, where you, we start to again, see a little bit of a relationship forming there, mm -hmm. sort of a flirtatious yeah. and almost a little combative at the same time. But it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic because uh, Keely walks away from Roy saying that she'll be sure to, uh, to text him next time she needs to make a decision about something because Roy just found out that, Keely broke up with Jamie and he's clearly not a fan of Jamie's at all. Right. And right. I think Keely is kind of frustrated that Roy seems to be inserting himself in their relationship business. Uh, and at, at the end of this scene, as she's walking away, there's a, a funny moment where Roy gets a text and he looks down and it's, it's Keely had just texted him as she was walking away. She, she writes, my bladder's full. Is it okay if, if I go pee? <laughs> and there's a funny moment where he kind of like says to himself, like, yeah, it's like, it's okay. Like he's like giving her permission yeah. under his breath. <laughs> <laughs> it's that conversation feels a little bit like uh, the one outside the clubhouse, like 2.0. Yeah. And it's like, they're both exactly. sort of up in the ante because yep. he's an interjecting himself into her relationship that she's clearly like, you don't really have a right to do that. Even though I, kind of like the fact that you are because it tells me that you care about me right. and it's so great to see her kind of assert herself 
and send him that text. And it's so Roy for him to go, yes, you know, under yeah. his breath. <laughs> but that's preceded by a, a classic Jamie moment. You know, she is talking to him about the photo shoot. She's all business telling him, hey, I'm going to, you know, throw away the ones that are that are terrible looking and I'll, I'll just send you the ones that are that are good. And of course, he all says, right. none of these are going to be bad because it's me. <laughs> and it's me. She, he makes he makes a suggestion. He says, why don't you just bring them over to my place and we can look at them together? Maybe we're naked. <laughs> it's so it's just wow jamie even though they just broke up and he's already been with uh, at least one other girl that we've that we've seen that was not bex by the way that was not no it wasn't yeah no bex i think is off with um with rebecca's husband right gross that's the last we saw of her yeah (laughs) she lost a lot of respect in my book so whatever (laughs) such a great scene it is so then we moved to ted's apartment and this prompts one of my uh one of the questions i have for this episode sure the lego Double decker uh-huh. bus for the win. Such a fantastic thing. Now, look, sidebar guys, I'm not a huge Lego person. I am. Well, okay, yeah. So Adam <laughs> is. Um, I don't have a huge collection, and I say yet. Uh, this is probably not something that my wife is going to be really excited about me getting into if I ever do. One, it gets expensive depending on yes. what you buy, and two, I just don't have the the shelf space to be able to to do this. I have a I have an office at my job that sort of houses all of my pop figures and. The lone Lego, uh, I forget what kind of specialty category it is, but it's Dom's Charger from... I think uh, it's Technic. Fast... Technic, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. These more complex, like thousands of pieces, just amazing. You have to kind of build them in parts. And it was a Christmas present from my friend Aaron. And I was like, this is awesome. And I see this double-decker bus. And I wanted to ask you, Adam, one, do you have this? And two, if you don't, what is your favorite Lego set that you own uh, in your collection? Because I know you're a Lego guy, as you mentioned. Yeah, I don't have this Lego, uh, this double-decker London bus. It's it's a red bus. It's a pretty decent-sized set. I think it originally retailed for 140 okay. and um, you know had over 1,500 pieces. So it's not one of the biggest sets, but it's, you know, they get pretty complicated, and in this scene there's even a funny moment that I've experienced as a Lego fan many times where Ted says, I, I think, I think we missed a, we skipped a page here because it's just not, it's not adding up. Like something's not going together. And that's totally happened to me and, and my daughter when she's working on hers. So there's, or it's just like you skip a step or whatever. There's always those moments where you're like, something's, I have some extra pieces here. What do I do with them? But it's uh, a scary I, moment. It's a scary yeah. moment. I, I will admit I have a lot of Lego sets and not all of them are open because like you, I don't have a lot of shelf space for the completed sets, but I do have, or our family has, I think the biggest set is the Lego Harry Potter Hogwarts castle, Ooh. which took us weeks and weeks and weeks to complete. It's massive and it's taking up a huge spot on one of our bookshelves right now. <laughs> and I will never take it apart because I could never rebuild it. Yeah. <laughs> it was such yeah. a chore, but fun. I mean, my daughter helped. We all worked on it like a, like, like a puzzle. It, it was more like a, like a really complex jigsaw puzzle that you lay out on a table and everyone kind of comes over and kind of works on it for an hour here, an hour there. And that's kind of how we handled this. We kind of set up a little table where we all just took turns chipping away at it it was a lot of fun and a lot of work and it's a beauty to look at but that's awesome it's, yeah it's very fragile <laughs> <laughs> as most lego sets are yeah. as they should be <laughs> you can't really move it without pieces falling off <laughs> anyway it was it was a good scene though because it like you uh, we both have kids around this age and they need help building their lego sets they can't mm-hmm. do them themselves i think that set is they all have like age recommendations so that and the the london bus i think is for 16 and up so clearly his son could not have constructed that unless he's like a genius by he himself is. we'll say he's a genius he's, Ted <laughs> yes. kid. he's a genius yes, right exactly <laughs> But but it, it's a great scene because in later then his wife gets in on it and they all have a great and there's sort of like a fun musical montage moment where we get to see them all laughing and drinking and eating while building this this Lego bus and just having a great time and it's a really fun moment it makes you feel like they're a family again after Ted's been away for over a month and it actually cuts right to a scene where they're all laying in bed together 
which was a really sweet moment. Such a short shot, just kind of pans from Michelle, and then the son is in the middle, and then you see Ted, and the, the Michelle and, and what's his son's name again? Henry, Henry, right? And they're both fast asleep, but it cuts to Ted kind of on the on the left side of the bed, laying on his back, and he's kind of looking at the ceiling, and you see like this smile appear on his face, like this is all he wants, is just to have his family together again, and for everyone to be getting along and happy. There's like a sense of hope at that moment that maybe this time away was beneficial, and he's able to bring his family back together and heal with his wife. And this maybe this was all he needed to do is go coach a, a soccer team in England to bring them back together again. Yeah. Uh, but it, unfortunately, it, it kind of cuts to the following morning where he's, again, just picking up coffee and scones for his family for breakfast. And he's walking down the street. He's happy as a clam. You know, just yet yeah, he's just after the previous night, he's in a terrific mood. And I think he even encounters one of a fan on the street that like yells at him, you know, about them losing. And he doesn't it doesn't phase him. You know, he's in a good mood and he goes home and brings uh, his son some scones. And he's like that right there. That's a scone. OK, basically like a muffin, except it sucks all the spit out of your mouth. There's your breakfast. <laughs> it's such a perfect description. Of that, I know. It's, it's so dry. <laughs> yeah. But then this leads into a very sort of sad scene where he looks over and sees his wife like looking out the window. And he he thinks that she's just admiring the view and how beautiful the city is from the view of his flat. But as she turns around, he can tell that she's crying and has been crying. And then things get real. Yeah. It's, it's very tender moment very delicate yeah. one of the facial expressions that Sudeikis makes in this show I think he did it in the previous episode with Rebecca when he sees her crying is his eyes get really big and it's almost like he gets into this like really like oh my gosh what's happening like very I don't want to break you that kind of thing and this one is almost twice as big as that where he looks at her and he says he says, well, what, what, uh, Oklahoma, you know, that's all he can think of. Like, okay, please just tell me the truth. You know, we, you know, t tell me what's going on. And she says, every day I wake up hoping that I'll feel the way I felt in the beginning, but maybe that's just what marriage is, right? I'll keep trying. And then at the end, Ted sighs. He makes this like, almost just this exacerbated sigh, like, oh my gosh. And it got me wondering, what do you think is going through his head at that moment, Adam? I think he's just feeling completely let down because, as I said, I think he was feeling a sense of hope that maybe they got past whatever the problem was by giving her space, by taking this job and, and leaving them alone for a month, that maybe this is what the, you know, what the doctor ordered was just them having a break, right? And that maybe things will start to get better again because they had such a nice time building the Lego set. He was picking up breakfast, hoping for another terrific family day together. And then here he sees her just as upset as she has been in the past, right? But on 4,000 miles away. So it's really sad. And really, like you said, Jason Sudeikis really stretches his sort of acting chops in the scene where we really mm -hmm. get to see a whole nother side of his character that we haven't had a chance to see much of. We've gotten hints of it, yeah. but he really becomes very emotional in, the, yeah. in, in this moment and later on in the episode as well. Well, and, and that's what leads into the next scene where he is starting to lean on other people. It's one of these great scenes that has an amazing amount of balance between tone where you have lightheartedness and deep type things. It, it, it reminds me that great writing knows when to stay, you know, when to go into the deep end of the pool and then know how to pull it back to the shallow end in terms of like that kind of, that was funny. And, and it really, you know, leans into both of those things. Um, Nate, at one point, they're talking about the relationship and Nate asks about, you know, why he left to come all the way over here. And, and Ted explains so eloquently that it was a good idea. It was a suggestion by their therapist that he give his wife some space. And so, mm -hmm. I gave her 5,000 miles worth of space. And then Nate looks over at Beard and says, have you ever had a romantic relationship? And Beard goes, <laughs> you know, whatever. 
Yeah, he 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 does something really funny. He just kind of goes like ha, <laughs> like really loud. That noise, like one just word. one word. Yeah, yeah. And then I love Ted's description of Beard and his views on romantic relationships. He says, "Yeah, Nate Coach's views on romantic relationships are not too dissimilar from his views on cooking steak. You know, you spend any more than five minutes on one, lose its flavor." And then he looks at Beard and says, "I get that right." And Beard smiles like, "Oh, yeah, that's yeah, he, you, like he you nailed it me. there." <laughs> yeah, he gets me. Then Higgins comes in and Ted reaches out to him. He says, Hey Higgins, you know, you've been married for a while. He goes, Oh yeah. He says, um, 28 years, oh. five boys, three dogs, one 20 year old cat whose impending death will wreck me emotionally. And, uh, one small house that manages to fit us all in it. And, uh, he asks him, has it been hard? And he said, didn't you hear five boys, tiny house, dying cat part. <laughs> yeah. And then he makes that cat noise. Beard laughs in that moment. And I'm trying to figure out, is that Beard laughing or is that the actor laughing? Because we don't right. see Beard smile or laugh all that much. But I think at that moment, he got a little tickled at the way that Higgins delivers that line. But then at the end, and again, this is this great balance between uh, the deep and shallow end of the pool when it comes to, to writing. Mm -hmm. He says, if you're with the right person, even the hard times are easy. I can get be behind that statement yeah. because being married for 13 years, I have a cat that is almost 14 years old and his death will wreck me emotionally because he was our first child or our first pet together. Sure. I think that there is some truth to the fact that when you're working through a relationship, easy is a different kind of definition. Easy doesn't mean effortless. I think easy is that you understand that you're not trying to change the person that you're married to. You're not trying to alter their personality to fit an easier way that you can live. And, you know, honestly, my wife and I, we've gone through our ups and downs and we thankfully are in 13 years, we're able to talk more honestly about how we are as parents and how we are as a couple, what ways we want to get better and how we can improve. And I think that's sort of what Higgins is getting at, that he's saying the right person is going to compliment you. The right person is going to challenge you. The hard times being easy means that you're really pushing through and you're not trying to work against that you're working with that relationship. And I thought that was a beautiful line. Uh, yeah, me too. And and it goes back to like the idea that when you're going through a hard time as a family, that your spouse should be the person that you can lean on and can support you. If they're, if they're the right person, they're going to be there to sort of help you through those difficult times, whether it's work, whether it's something going on in your extended family, that you have that person to help you get through that. And unfortunately, a lot of people in relationships, I think they take things out on one another when they're not about the other person. And that's the key is with the right person, you shouldn't ever need to take it out on the other person because right. you're what you're really going through is not something with each other. It's something external that is making life hard for you right then. And some people then, as I said, take it out on their significant other. And that's clearly not the best way to handle those difficult times in life. If you can lean on that other person and they understand you and where you're coming from and they can support you, I think that that's what makes a relationship or a marriage last the longest. And this is a great scene because it has this such a, a moving moment, but then it also transitions into this really awkward sort of funny section where they talk about 911 versus 999 for yeah. <laughs> for emergencies and how it's different how in the US it's 911 and in the UK, UK it's 999 and they just Ted and Beard just start you know joking about how that seems troublesome to me you know toddlers and just butt dials and uh, cuz it's one key yeah, yeah. you probably have police cars and ambulances just yeah. zipping all over the place and both uh, Higgins and and Nate are kind of like, yeah, yeah, we, we do have a lot of that here. And I think you've solved it. I think you've solved the problem of why we have so many 999 accidental calls. And uh, it's just a funny little moment. They have fun with the differences between things right. in the U.S. and the U.K. Because clearly it's a, it's a, a U.S.-U.K. co-production. They know mm -hmm. that the audience is going to be watching in both countries. So it's fun, I think, on both sides to sort of poke fun at the other a little bit from time to time. And I wanted to point out the fact that Higgins comes in because somebody found his phone. Oh, right. Apparently yeah. he lost it. 
And of course, Beard deletes some of Higgins' apps to optimize performance. I think that <laughs> right. is just he took it upon a, himself. Yeah, that's a Beard move, is what that yeah. is. You know, he's he's there for efficiency, man. He's gonna he's gonna take totally. care of you. And oh gosh, I don't know if I'd want somebody that intrusive. But no, whatever. and and how did he get into his phone? That's even more creepy. Like, did he? Because <laughs> he's Beard. He's yeah. Beard. He's a smart. Yeah, he he hacked into his phone or something, but. There's also one last funny moment where we learn a little bit more about Nate in this scene because uh, he, what, when you mentioned he asks Ted, you know, well, why, you know, why did you, uh, when if you were having marital problems, why did you come take this job so far away? He, he actually says, why did you fly 4,438 miles away? And Ted says, that is a very specific number to know off the top of your head. Oh, well, uh, my dad used to be a cartographer. He used to say I was... 0.001 miles tall. So it, it all makes sense, right? But it's just like these little moments where we start to learn. And, and with this show, his father is going to play a role going forward, as we'll learn. So it's an interesting thing that he mentioned his father here and planted that seed. Because um, as we've said before, this show, nothing is wasted. Every right. line has a purpose for the overall season and mm -hmm. arc of the show of the characters within the show so we're starting to get to know a little bit more about nate here that will play out further down the line so then we move to the locker room and the rest of the team is getting hyped we come to find out they're playing a team with the initials wtf now i don't know the premier league very well so i was looking up they are not in relegation so they're not part of champions league i could not find a team name with the initials wtf so listeners, if you know this, please let us know. Uh, but that might be an in-joke to another popular abbreviation. I'm not sure. But before the match, uh, they're in the locker room. They're getting hype. I think Roy brings the whole team together. They do the, you know, bring the hands in, the whole kind of one team type thing. And then, you know, Jamie didn't participate. And this is the first time I think we really see Ted's frustration with Jamie. You know, he's kind of brushed it off or played it for laughs, stayed lighthearted. Uh, this is also the first time we get the famous Jamie Tot, do, 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 Jamie Tot, do, 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 do. which just cracked me up that oh, yeah. he actually, they, the, the writers decided let's do baby shark and let's yeah. instead do Jamie Tart. Maybe that's why they called him Jamie Tart. But anyway, and watching <laughs> Ted interact with him is so interesting because you kind of think that conversation a few episodes ago about him being one in a million, but missing the fact that he's one of 11 would have stuck with him. Apparently not. Apparently Jamie is his own man for better or for worse. I, I think it was disappointing to Ted. I think he thought, man, I, I thought I had a breakthrough with him and clearly I haven't. So the, the scene plays out, uh, they're getting kind of frustrated with each other. And then Henry comes in with his Jersey. And then there's this sort of semi awkward moment where he signs, Jamie signs his Jersey and Jamie says, next time I scored a goal, it won't just be for me. It'll be for you too. And for me, but just for us. And and we laugh, but at the same time, we're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Are you going to be that just, much? Yes. Yeah, he's so, so full arrogant. Of himself. Yeah. So full of himself. There's one last thing he does because he kind of pats Ted's son in the head and says, good lad. And then as he walks past Beard, he says, good boy. Almost like he's a dog, you know, oh, like he's wow. like, good yeah, boy. I remember no, that. he's just talking down. He just, his, he thinks so little of Ted and Beard. You can really tell at this point. And it makes me wonder if he was making progress maybe while he was still dating Keely, but since the breakup, it's like he's gone fully in the opposite direction again. He's mm. gone he's reverted back to sort of his childish selfishness and it's all about himself again mm. and what he wants and about me me me, right? And that Obviously, as we get onto the pitch and the game begins, we see that even more so as he's clearly the best player and he scores the first goal. And he's like pointing <laughs> at himself saying, me, me, as everyone's, you know, chanting yeah. his name. Whatever work they did to make us feel some sympathy for him and for, say, Roy and him to kind of make up at the gala and kind of have that bonding moment, they really kind of turned him around again and made him just a complete selfish jerk in this episode yeah i think there's some real logic to what you're saying adam in terms of regression because jamie really only knows at this point in the season what we know about jamie is that he trusts one person and that's himself and he had 
a little bit of trust and a little bit of value with Keely, but she clearly has stood up for herself. And so now he's pushed back and he is now just like, okay, well, I'm going to protect myself because nobody else is going to hurt me. Interesting to take that perspective because we don't know. I mean, what else is going on with Jamie in terms of his inner struggles? Does he have some? I mean, somebody that arrogant is going to have some kind of underlying thing that's motivating that arrogance. I don't think anybody's arrogant for being arrogant. So it'll be interesting to see if there's anything under that. But at this point, we get back on the pitch. And this is really the first time that we get to see a match take place. Most of the time we've seen some of these field shots on the pitch. Um, not loving it, not really loving the the sports feel of this. It doesn't feel very real. Uh, and I think part of that is because when I watch a soccer match, I'm seeing it from a higher level. I'm not seeing it from this mid-level. So I don't know if a lot of the production value is, it's not terrible by any means, but it doesn't feel like they're actually in a big stadium. Uh, the shots that do feel a little bit more authentic are the close-up shots, like when they're, there's like an over-the-shoulder shot of Roy with uh, with Sam giving his advice to limp badly. I thought that was a veteran move. Um, or even with Ted and the other coaches on the sideline watching. But for the most part, it just it felt a little awkward. It felt like kind of like a TV, a TV show yeah, production I mean, at that point. Oh, sure. And I think this was probably a budgetary issue at this point. This is obviously before the show had this was shot before it was released, before it became the hit and the awards darling that it became. So it probably didn't have the the kind of money that some of these bigger shows that were used to had in this initial season. So maybe they just couldn't afford that level of production to shoot in a full crowded stadium. Yeah, uh, as we're as as you said, as we were used to. Right. But I think it still works for the dramatic. It may not do the best job of shooting a sporting event and making you feel like you're in the game. But again, mm -hmm. it's this show has never been about that, at least not right. this, thus far. It's been more about Ted and the players and what they're going through internally. I think this scene still is very effective in in showing what Ted is good at and, and why, and that he can see where their weakness is. And in this scene, clearly, even though Jamie scores two goals in the first half, he can see that the problem is Jamie. And they're tied at that point uh, going into, into the, the second half. And mm -hmm. I think he makes a very difficult decision one that he actually runs all the way up into the stands, which is a great, <laughs> great moment. And I think one of the announcers even <laughs> said something really funny, like, He's not slowing down on those steps. That's some real impressive cardio from Ted Lasso there. And it's funny because in this episode, clearly Ted's showing his physical prowess on more than one occasion. Because Right, twice, not only on the pitch with yeah. his family, but also running up oh. the stands, yeah. Yeah, so he gets up. And to the top of the stands and he says to Rebecca, you know, who's sitting there in the box, you know, I, I just want to ask, ask you a question. Can, can I pull out Jamie? And, and she, of course, with her plot, hoping that they'll lose the match without their star player on the team, you know, playing. Uh, she's like, I trust you, Ted. Do what you think is, do what you need to do. And that's what he decides to do. He decides to pull the star player out of the second half. And uh, it, it was a very, you know, gutsy move, but mm -hmm. this is where Ted's genius as a coach comes in because he realizes yeah. that that might be the thing that will bring the team together. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that he called the fourth official highlighter? I did catch that this time, and I was kind of like, did he just call him highlighter? <laughs> yeah, he's in yellow, so he's yeah. the highlighter. <laughs> and the guy didn't say anything, like, so it wasn't, <laughs> didn't phase him. So. No. One thing, uh, if you're not familiar with, with soccer, especially when it comes to the higher like premier league stuff, when you sub someone out two things, one, they can't go back in. Like once they leave the pitch, they are no longer eligible to come back into the game. Oh, I did not know that. So he yeah. could not, if someone was injured, for example, he would not be allowed back in to play at any I point. I don't know about injury, mm -hmm. but when you okay. sub someone out, I speak sort of half truth. What I know yeah, is yeah. that no. you have a limited number of, of intentional subs. Uh-huh. Injuries might be a little different. You might be able to sub that person back in. But if you're intentionally bringing someone out to sub someone else in, you can no longer use that individual. So the second half, even if Jamie had stuck around, he would not have been able to play, which made that okay. impact a lot more significant. 
which makes sense why when they enter into the locker room, the first thing you see is his jersey, like by his locker on the ground. So clearly he threw his jersey on the ground and left and didn't didn't stick around to finish watching yeah. the game. Yeah. And that that locker room is sort of a throwback to classic locker room scenes. You have that halftime speech <laughs> yeah. that starts out with Ted saying, fellas, we're broken. We need to change. And look, I know change can be scary. One minute, you're playing freeze tag out there at recess with all your buddies. Next thing you know, you're getting zits, your voice gets low. And every time your art teacher, Miss Scanlon, leans over your desk to check and see how your project's going, you feel all squiggly inside. <laughs> mm. She was a striking woman. Not classically beautiful, but striking. First time I ever saw tan lines. Most of the time, change is a good thing. Now, I think that's what it's all about. Embracing change, being brave, doing whatever you have to so that everyone in your life can move forward theirs. Because maybe it's the only way you can truly help her be happy. That speech is so magical. I think yeah. it it's probably my favorite scene because I love locker room scenes anyway. I think they're just fantastic. But this is where we really get sort of the synthesis of Ted really giving himself that pep talk. And now we know why this episode is called Tan Lines. Such a subtle little moment, but it, it all comes to this little scene. You know, he likes to tell lots of stories about his sort of uh, elementary or grade school or middle school days and how they influenced his his life because those were his sort of formative years and and this is yet another one of those examples but he's yeah he gives a great inspirational speech and you even see him making the players laugh which i think is is great it, it kind of pans across a lot of the different players who some of whom we haven't really heard speak yet they haven't really had many lines but they're laughing even you even see roy laugh at one point which i thought was great he, he has a big smile on his face and again maybe was that really roy or was that was that brett goldstein laughing i don't i don't, I don't know but oh and by the way this episode was written by brett goldstein so i know he's a, a story consultant i believe on all of the episodes but this one he actually was given sole writing credit for so and it's a great episode so he really did a good job i think in getting to ted's sort of core in this episode and letting us see who he really is outside of being a coach yeah. and uh, what i also like is he ends his sort of speech by basically slapping the believe sign Yes. And that's, he didn't even say anything else. He's like, this is all I'm going to leave you with. And he just slaps the, the believe sign above the mm -hmm. door to his office. And that's the heart of what he's trying to do. He's trying to get them to believe and to just get them to embrace change, right? To embrace mm -hmm. the fact that Jamie might not be here, but that doesn't mean we can't win. We can't depend on just one person. And I think he knows that, that ultimately Jamie is an incredible player, but he might be the one thing hurting them from ultimately having a win. Yeah. And so then we move over to the pitch. It's, I think, extra time at this point. They're tied 2-2. They're still, right. No more, no additional goals have been made at any point. Yeah. And the, uh, the extra pass pays off and Sam gets the goal. Uh, so much in the scene is, is so wonderful, Adam. Where Oh, it, it's incredible. You see Roy taking the ball to the goal and you're kind of like oh yeah Roy you could do it man get the goal like you kind of want him to get it but then he doesn't even though he could have he passes it to Sam and like you said we get the goal and Sam gets the goal but that's for me that shows so much about what makes Roy a great character and a great team captain is that he wasn't doing this for his personal glory which Jamie would have done he knew that he had to listen to his coach and pass and give Sam the opportunity to score. And it's just a great moment. And they are, you know, of course, as a team, happier than they've ever been. And right. it's all really thanks to Ted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, he and Roy, Ted and Roy share a little moment at the end, which they I do. think is yeah. great. I've seen that in a couple of different movies where you have the stubborn player kind of shaking the hands of the coach saying, yeah, you were right, that kind of thing. So we get a little bit of that flavor. And my favorite line of the season so far is probably what makes this episode my favorite of the season so far. 
you know exactly know. what I'm going to say. It's, yeah. Because <laughs> it's probably got, one of mine too. Yeah. T- Ted and Beard are on the middle of the pitch and they hear the crowd just chanting wanker. But they're like clapping as they do it. There's like, it's it's changed. Like the yeah. way they're, they're chanting it, it's almost with love now. Yes. Yeah. As Beard says, it means something different. And Ted says, yeah, Kind of like back in the 80s. Bad meant good. And then Beard says, who was president then? Ted goes, Ronald Reagan. And Beard, without skipping a beat, goes, Ronald Reagan? The actor? Oh, man. I love when you do Doc Brown. You walk me right into that. <laughs> oh, Adam, I just cracked up. I, I probably rewound that like three or four times because it's just so, so funny. And it's just another great Beard Ted Lasso moment. These, oh, these yeah. guys that have been lifelong friends and... Yeah, that's the that's the exclamation point for me in terms of like the funniest moment of the of the, and of the episode. If you don't know, Pash and I have podcasted about on the Feel and Film podcast about all three Back to the Future films. Yeah, and we love them in particular the very first one, and it's just it's always great to see these kind of references because <laughs> I think these guys are probably a little older than us, but we're, we're all the generation where back to the future was just a seminal film for us growing up and, and any chance to get a back to the future reference into normal conversation is a good thing. Always a plus one for me. Yeah. yeah. What's great about that moment, Adam, is that beard sets him up. Yeah. Like it's all, I would do that. Like I would find a way to bring in some, just a just obscure movie reference by setting up saying, well, who was president back in the eighties? <laughs> just a, yeah. beard is just right on his feet. And it's something that you don't see beard doing. No, he, he doesn't usually make jokes or, you know, he's pretty matter of fact. And clearly the elation of winning this match has brought out another side, a lighter side to beard in this, in this episode. <laughs> The scene ends in an interesting way. We get a pan up to Rebecca, who clearly is not changed yet. Like she is, she's not, her facial expression isn't one of anger, but it's not one of elation either, which is both surprising and not surprising because we want her to change and we feel like she's made strides with Keely and with Ted. Yeah. But I think it's this moment of almost like conflict in her where we think that my theory is that man, she was happy that Ted got the victory because of this personal connection that she has with him now. But at the same time, it's also a win for Rupert. So I I really see that in her face where she feels conflicted in that she doesn't know which way to lean. And I thought that was an interesting way to end the scene because in normal, like writer's room situations, you have her lean one way or the other, either clearly upset or clearly like we've won her over but that shell is clearly still on her and it needs to be broken down a little bit more. So that's something I, I really am drawn to with this series is that not every moment is a, a bow that's wrapped up. Yeah. And that kind of gets echoed in this last scene outside after the match. It's a real tough moment. Ted and Michelle are having a real, just honest conversation. And he says to her, I look back at everything we've been through. (laughs) I wouldn't change a single thing. Even now. What are you saying? Shell, there's something I could do or something I could say that would make you be happy. Just being with me, I'd do it. I'd do it in a nanosecond. But I ain't got no control over any of that. You don't have to keep trying anymore. It's okay. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, when he said that, I was like, I want this to work, but I know it's the best for their relationship. And he echoes that, or he, he kind of ends that by saying, I promised myself I would never quit anything in my life. And she says, you're not quitting. You're just letting me go. But that's equally as hard. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that it's not the right choice, the right decision, but it's just, ah. Uh, I'm not looking forward to the fallout of this. I'm not looking no. forward to this finality that both of them have agreed to. It's tough to watch. In, in a different movie or show, that grand gesture 
would almost make her fall in love with him all over again, right? It, yeah, it's just the yeah. fact that he's willing to let her go would be such a gesture of love and wanting her to be happy, even if it means him not being happy, that she would be like, well, that's the man I fell in love with, right? But th there's clearly something else going on here. It might be something that she's dealing with internally that she just can't be in a relationship right now. We don't know, right? We don't really fully understand the backstory, but Ted finally does. Ted knows that this is the only way out for them going forward, that they can be friends, that they can raise their son together, that they can be cordial and, and still have love for one another without being in love, if that makes sense, right? It's a sad scene. Yeah, they're in the, they're in the rain with umbrellas. You know, it's very dramatic. And their son is off playing soccer, like in the rain with that girl that... I think her name is Shannon, we, we find out. Uh, that's the girl that Ted first sort of ran into uh, walking through the neighborhood right in the very first uh, episode. So uh, again, nothing wasted. They found a way to work her back in and have them have a little moment. And then Ted says goodbye, you know, and kind of puts them in a cab or a car and uh, tells his son that he loves him and that he, he can't wait to, to get home, to get home to him, right, and, and see him again soon. He then sort of walks over, sits down on the bench, you know, feeling sort of defeated, I think, even though he just won his first match, you know, he's feeling happy about his professional life, but sort of feeling in the dumps about his personal life. And out of nowhere, Beer just kind of walks in with a beer, kind of sits down next to him, hands him the beer. And, you know, they, they kind of nod at each other. Just they share a nonverbal communication yeah. that they clearly are on the same page and they know what the other is thinking, but they don't say anything to each other. And then this, this, that old guy, that old neighborhood guy walks by and he says, Oi, wanka, good job tonight. You know, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> out of nowhere. And that's basically, I think, the end of the episode. There's one, yeah. of, there's one scene they kind of cut to while Ted's talking to his wife where they show Roy kind of spooking Keely in the parking lot. Right. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, another little moment that kind of furthers the fact that there's something brewing between mm -hmm. the two of them, something yeah. going on. There's definitely an attraction. There's definitely an interest in mm -hmm. getting to know one another better. But, yeah. you know, Roy, of course, just plays it off like, all right, good night. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> allow anything to proceed very far. Yeah, I, I think it's strategic a little bit because of the fact that we see one relationship sort of on the outs and ending right. and the potential for another relationship starting. I thought that was something that, you know, we're left with that moment. We're left with the beer moment that even though it's not a happy moment, it's optimistic. Yeah. Looking at the, at that scene, it's powerful to me because beard is with him. Beard understands him. And the fact that they don't have to say anything, this is what nonverbal non-wasted space looks like. They even have this little, almost like this tradition with their beer where they dink the glasses and they tap the bench and then they drink. I, I didn't pay attention to that when they were in the bar or in the pub last time, but I'd be interested to see if they do that more, like if that's part of their routine. Because it seems like right. that's something that when they take drinks, they they cheers and then they they tap on the on the table or on the bench. But it's a great way to end the episode. And yeah. Maybe it's like when they win a match, they do that. I don't know. Like there could Maybe. be some ritual, like you said, about that particular type of toasting that they do that has to do with winning to sort of celebrate. I'm not sure, but they've been yeah. together a while, as we've surmised, and uh, they may have their their little routines and rituals like that. Yeah, I'll be on the lookout for it in future episodes to yeah. see if they do. Yeah, you know, when yeah, they definitely. do that and why. Well, this was a solid, solid episode. I think. Yeah. It is my favorite, as I mentioned before, thus far. I'm hoping that it's surpassed because if, if there's an episode that gets better than this, I'm just going to be cloud nine. Um, but we'll <laughs> yeah. see. Yeah, they, they almost just keep getting better. But that has a lot to do with the fact that we, as the audience, are just really getting to know these characters more and more. The more developed they are, the more we enjoy watching them on screen, the more we want to know what they're going to do next. And so I think that's what comes out of a well-written and acted show like this. You just you you just want to go to the next episode. They, they can be great independent episodes that are very entertaining and funny and meaningful, but as, as you're watching them sort of chronologically straight through, they really just build upon the last, the last episode really well. Yeah, absolutely they do. 
Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of an original series. Adam, what do we have coming up? Well, next up, we'll be covering episode six of Ted Lasso, season one. And this one is entitled Two Aces. Not sure like what the that number means. two, the number two. Yeah, aces. two yeah. TWO Aces. So okay. I don't know if that's a poker reference or what, but it'll be interesting. After finding out that today's episode was derived from this this line, this one, this one story when Ted was in uh, middle school, tan lines. It's, it's interesting. It's always a sort of a fun little puzzle to figure out where these titles are coming from. I'm going to take a stab and say that there's a card game that takes place and Beard gets taken for all of his money. I don't know, maybe. That, <laughs> that's, know. <laughs> that's as good a guess as any. I mean, the, the other, I could sort of take a more abstract approach and say that the two aces are, there, are Roy and Jamie, like the, the two oh, yeah. best players on the team. That's just another guess. I, I have no idea, though. We'll have to wait and see. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in and joining our conversation like you do every episode. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.